This is Connecting with a Peg. I'm Hal Anderson, and joining us on the phone now, the Justice Minister for Manitoba, Kelvin Gertson. Good morning, sir. Hey, good morning, Hal. It's good to be with you. Yeah, thank you. I know you're uh, less than 45 minutes away now from another news conference. Uh, let's start there. Cybercrime funding. Can you tell us anything at all? I don't want to steal your thunder here, but this is an area I was just reading today about sextortion and how cases are up. We've got some new crime stats from Stats Canada. This is an area I think sometimes we don't think enough about. Yeah, you're exactly right. I think a lot of times when we think about crime, we think about you know, police chasing people on a street or something that's happening that's very visible in front of us. But a lot of what we're seeing, you know, over the last, uh, and a big increase in the last five years has been things that are happening on the Internet. Cryptocurrency, the, um, the extortion and, and scamming of cryptocurrency, and don't ask me to explain everything about cryptocurrency because some of it's a mystery to me as well. But things that are happening on the Internet, those scams, sometimes it's conventional crimes where Guns are being traded on dark parts of the Internet. And the Winnipeg police uh, simply need some more technical resources in terms of tracing that on the Internet, finding bad guys on the Internet, uh, and then also to train the Winnipeg police to do that work. So it's going to be an announcement about both those things, training and the technology to be able to find people who are doing things on the Internet uh, and creating victims in Manitoba. Right. Well, we'll listen for more from you on that, as I said, in uh, about 40 minutes from now, uh, your news conference coming up at 11 o'clock. You joined Bear Clan last night. First of all, before we get into the funding for Bear Clan, um, how was that? You took a walk on the streets with Bear Clan last night? Yeah, I was out for about a couple of hours with uh, the Bear Clan. Kevin Walker, the executive director, uh, kind of led the way and, and gave me a good explanation. And I saw, of course, what they do. Uh, on an almost nightly basis, you know, really interesting how you can you can talk to somebody and you can ask them, and I know that, that you do a lot of this and ask what folks do and they explain it to you, but it's, it's different than when you grow with them and you actually see it in person, you experience it. And so that was a different experience for the last couple of hours last night, going on that walk and seeing how they connect in with the community, how they build those relationships, how they provide support. I mean, they're providing food on the street, bringing it to people directly. Uh, we also saw some more difficult situations where they had to run Narcan into, uh, into a facility because somebody was experiencing what they believed to be an overdose. So lots of really difficult situations. Not every difficult situation can or should be handled by police. Bear Clan is a different kind of organization. They can approach people in a different way. There's sometimes a different level of trust that gets built up between individuals. So it was a really interesting experience for me, right? It's not my life. I said to the Bear Clan at the beginning of the announcement that I get the luxury of going home at the end of those two hours to a different sort of environment. And the people who we met on the street are still on the street. And I understand that. So it, w it was important to go and, and sort of see that reality and, and see what uh, they're doing to make a difference in the lives of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I, for a living, talk a lot about uh, issues uh, with people, and I interview people. Rarely do we get the chance to go out there, and so would you say it was eye-opening to be out there for a couple of hours and see what Bear Clan patrols deal with on a daily basis? Yeah, it was eye-opening in, in terms of the breadth of the way they deal with the situation. So, you know, there is that close connection that they that they establish with people because they're seeing some of the same people night after night, right? So there's a relationship that gets built. And then there's that support. I mean, they're handing out 
you know, apples and, and other things to kids who are, who are on the street uh, with uh, their families in some cases. So there's that real, you know, immediate help for individuals. Uh, and then there's a little bit more difficult situations, right, that are almost medical in terms of, of intervention. And finding people who are willing to volunteer, remember that most of these folks are volunteers, volunteer to do that uh, is exceptional. But it speaks, to, it speaks to those individuals and it speaks to Winnipeg. I mean, we sometimes hear and, and some of the negative things that happen in Winnipeg and Manitoba, but behind those stories, we and you highlight this as well, Helen, I appreciate when you do it, the great people who do great work in Bear Clan are some of those people. Yeah. Uh, talk about the funding. I, I, I think you got uh, over $200,000 in funding for Bear Clan, including new ongoing support of $100,000. Some of this money, though, is coming from the bad guys, and I like that. And I think most people do. The, the proceeds of crime fund, it, it has its uh, sense of irony, I think, right, in that police go out there, they arrest bad guys, they often will seize uh, valuables, um, sometimes it's cash, sometimes it's vehicles, sometimes it's other things that can get monetized, turned into money, and then that gets returned to the police uh, and to other organizations like Bear Clan to be able to do good work. So Bear Clan received $100,000 of that funding, particularly for equipment, gloves, uh, other equipment, vests to keep the Bear Clan members safe, uh, but then also to have Narcan and other things that will support others who are out on, on the street. And so $100,000 for that equipment uh, and that support. And then another commitment for ongoing funding of $100,000. This is largely a community organization that exists on donations and grants from different times. But it is important that they have core funding that they can rely upon, plan for, and then build out those plans because they know that that funding is going to be in place. So it was two parts, committing to that $100,000 of funding every year and then the $100,000 uh, for the equipment that they need to keep their members safe and help others on the street. You were on CGOB recently, I think it was last week, with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham on the news here uh, one afternoon, and you talked about you know working quickly to come up with a plan on youth crime, and you said that organizations, community organizations need to get together. We need to connect them to deal with the issues on, on the streets of Winnipeg. We've seen many of these programs for young people disappear during the pandemic. Uh, any update on that? I realize it's only been a few days. I like this idea, though, because I, I, you know, and I have said when we saw all these incidents at the Forks, I said maybe it's time short term to get more boots on the ground. Uh, I did mean police at the time. I still think that might be a short-term solution, but I like your idea of boots on the ground from these organizations. And, and any update at all for us on that? Yeah, and, and your idea isn't wrong, though, Hal. Like, I think, you know, we have, to, we have to look at this as a multi-pronged approach. And so, you know, the solution isn't going to be just how do we use police resources. Oh, that can be part of it. Um, but we have to go beyond that. It's not just going to be police resources. And the police are very, you know, supportive of Bear Clan and supportive of things like downtown safety uh, committees. So this is part of what we're talking about, getting more eyes on the street. Uh, Bear Clan's part of that. You're going to hear more announcements about other organizations who will receive support to have more eyes in the community, which give people both a sense of assurance, but I think also have a real opportunity for assurance. But then this coordination of these different groups who are doing things in Winnipeg for youth support, you will hear more on that. We're engaged with an individual who uh, I think will be um, supported by Winnipeggers to, to do that work and hope to be able to uh, speak to you and others about that uh, in uh, a few weeks, not a few months, in a few weeks, because we know that there's haste to some of this too, but we have to do it right as well. 
I'll look forward to it. Thank you very much, Mr. Minister. I appreciate it. Yeah, and have a great, uh, have a great day. I always appreciate having the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you. Me as well. Kelvin Gertzen, Manitoba's Justice Minister. So interesting. A few weeks away, maybe, from more information on what we're going to do about youth crime. Sounds like they've targeted in on an individual who may help with that. We'll keep an eye on that story and obviously update you as developments happen. So Eaton House on Wellington Crescent is coming down. I'll just read a quick uh, tweet here from Brent Bellamy, who we hear from quite often. He's a columnist and an architect. He says, heartbreaking. Imagine owning the most beautiful house on the most beautiful street in your city and thinking, this would be much better if I tore it down. Eaton House on Wellington Crescent, excited to see the McMansion that replaces it. Let's bring in Cindy Tugwell here, Executive Director of Heritage Winnipeg. Cindy, good morning. Good morning. Before we get into the bigger conversation, how we're doing saving old buildings here in Winnipeg, I, I tend to think we're doing better than a lot of other cities. But first of all, Eaton House. Was this one that was even being considered um, uh, to save it, or was it too far gone? No, it wasn't too far gone. Uh, the city took steps years ago to make sure it wasn't protected. It took it off the inventory list. Um, it was researched in 2009, and the city of Winnipeg a researcher at that point in 2009 said it was in great structural condition and very few um, elements to the exterior had been altered. Designed by Winnipeg architect Arthur Edward Cubbage, built in 1932, first occupant was James Miller Gilchrist, but best known for its second occupants, as of 1948, Gilbert and Marjorie Eaton, members of the family, uh, famous fa- department store family, they moved out. The, har- the house was purchased in the early 1970s by fashion designer Peter Nygaard. The house is being de- demolished as we speak. So, so why should we be wanting to save this particular home? Well, I think Winnipegers should be concerned beyond just this home. I mean, this home in particular is a rare 1930s build. Um, During the Depression, it was very rare that you would have these massive mansions built and being Tudor-style. And certainly the social history with Gilchrist and the Eaton family, the grandson of the Eatons, um, and the character-defining elements, the beautiful historic streetscape, the fact that it was protected and the city chose not to protect it anymore after 2014 is a testament that we're losing an alarming amount of homes on Wellington. As you know, 514 was demolished a few years ago under a cloud of um, strange circumstances. Um, but as a success story, conversely, 529, the steakhouse, has mm-hmm. been a huge success for two decades, and that was a retrofit. So there's a difference in the types of people that buy these properties. Some see the value immensely, like Brent Bellamy and myself, and some say, you know, we want something newer and more modern. Those is, that is the particular reason why I'm upset that this home was not protected. This particular family should not have been allowed to buy this home if the city knew it was going to be a teardown. But without protection, we can't intervene. 
And yet, I think in Winnipeg, we do overall a pretty good job preserving our architectural history. Like, for example, the Exchange District. There are many cities that destroyed buildings like that and now look back and go, oh, what what did we do? And we've done a pretty good job of saving that part of our city and those buildings and, and that architecture. Um, I'm from Alberta, so is Jim Toth. And Jim Toth was saying in one of our morning meetings this morning, Calgary is a good example of a city that got rid of a lot of that stuff. We here in Winnipeg have saved a lot of it. So I think overall we're doing pretty well, though, aren't we? I, I think we are. I mean, Heritage Winnipeg's been around since the historical bylaws in 78. We were set up as a cooperative by the city of Winnipeg and the province as a watchdog. I think that our argument has been to involve us more over the last few decades. Um, our advocacy role has probably increased four to fivefold, and yet the city continues to not work closely with us. But going to the exchange, as an example, this property was on the commemorative list. People misinterpreted what the commemorative list on the city website meant, possibly protection. The National Historic Site of the Exchange District is also commemorative. So we have to work really hard to protect these buildings, whether they're vacant and they're falling into grave disrepair, or conversely now the siege with infill on the exchange. Um, That's been a problem over the last four or five years and will continue now that COVID is over. So we've got a lot of work to do. What Heritage Winnipeg is saying to the public is that our city is really unique because of our built heritage being protected. Over 120 buildings in the exchange alone and probably four or 500 of value, historic value in the city of Winnipeg. It's hard work, but we're an innovative city. And to Brent Bellamy's point, some of the most beautiful heritage buildings in the city have been retrofitted for completely different uses. And certainly we'll see that with the Hudson's Bay downtown. Um, so we have innovative architects. We have the right people in this city. We just need the right people to purchase them and the city to work with us to protect them. I I love preserving the history and heritage. of. I've, I've done it with my cottage at the lake. Um, so, so I, I understand, I get it. it. It, it's not as important for a lot of people. It usually costs more money and I know there's funding available. Um, but these heritage buildings come with a lot of obstacles to clear. Um, well, there, there, there's two things I want to say to that is that in many cases, unless it's fallen into grave disrepair for decades, which some of the downtown buildings were, and people said it wasn't worth uh, rehabilitating them, that's neglect. I mean, whether you owned a 2010 home or, a, you know, a 1900s home, you cannot neglect your property for decades and decades. And I argue, too, that per square footage to build new is still a lot more expensive. When we look, I'll give you an example. The former Carnegie Library, which the uh, city archives was moved out temporarily, there was damage to the building. They moved out, and then the city decided they would say, okay, are we going to go back? Are we going to do a new build, or what are we going to do now? And we thought, we assumed they were going to go back. They had committed the funding years ago before the damage, but nonetheless, they did a study spent thousands of dollars with consultants, and uh, the new build was almost twice as much as it was to continue the rehabilitation of the existing library, whereas which it should ideally have been a no-brainer. It went back there, but nonetheless, it showed the city that these new builds with the price of construction and labor are not as cheap as we think. Mm-hmm. Too late for Eaton House on Wellington. Any other properties, buildings that you'd like to highlight here? A lot of people listening right now, any buildings that are in danger or buildings that are being retrofitted and, and worked over for a new life? 
Um, not it, not particular. I think a lot of people are that the purchase them are very cognizant to do a sympathetic uh, restoration or rehabilitation. What I would argue is the bigger picture. If everybody's listening, that Winnipeg is a very rare city in Canada. Um, I, I usually compare it to Montreal. We've got to put the money and the commitment into this. We have some of the most beautiful built heritage in certainly Western Canada, and we have to make this commitment. But it's city hall. So with the election this year. And with a new mayor, inevitably, we need a commitment to have Heritage Winnipeg um, as a nonprofit work with the city and the province to continue to regulate and initiate designation. I can tell you, looking at an old list, including um, 1015 Wellington, at least two dozen properties on Wellington Crescent were dropped in 2014. That's alarming. That's that's two more dozen properties that are unprotected. And we'll change the complete landscape and and streetscape of Wellington Crescent forever. Cindy, before I let you go, an interesting thought here from listener Ainsley at 204-780-6868. She says, Hal, I think the Wellington Crescent area, the whole area should be protected as the exchange area is not just building by building, but the whole area. Is that even something that would be feasible? Yes, and actually that's a very valid point she brought up. As I said earlier, um, as a National Historic Site, the Exchange District is not protected. It's commemorative. So we fight every day building by building, sadly. But what we now have is a Heritage Conservation District bylaw. Armstrong's Point was the first to have it enacted in 2019. Subsequently, Crescent Wood is now underway. Their plan is moving along wonderfully. It doesn't go all the way far enough. It it stops um, before Academy as part of the boundary, but I think the listener is absolutely right. I'd like to see further protection along Wellington Crescent, but these HCDs are really ideal because it it protects the whole area once it's passed as opposed to uh, building by building or home by home. Cindy, thanks for your time. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we'll do it again soon. Tin, uh, Cindy Tugwell, Executive Director, Heritage Winnipeg, and thanks to listener Ainsley. Really good uh, point uh, that Cindy was able to react to there. So by all means, you know, as we talk about whatever we happen to be talking about, send those text messages in and those emails, 204-780-6868 or hal at cgob.com. And if you've got a second for a, a phone call and you want to be a part of the conversation here on Connecting Winnipeg, I welcome that as well. And while we were talking to Cindy, Jeremy called in. So let's bring in Jeremy here. Yes, Jeremy. Hey, Hal. Uh, good topic, Hi. as usual. I uh, just want to throw my two cents at the heritage building concept. So I read an article this weekend that about David Asper had owned that Eaton house, and he basically said that he was just throwing money at this house, and it was going to be money after money after money being thrown at a house. So there you have it. A super rich guy... Uh, trying to do the best he can can't save the house just best to walk away so yeah, and, and i didn't uh, about heritage homes it's not yeah. their money they're spending right and and i didn't read the article so i don't i you know i'm i'm taking you at your word on on what you read but i will say this and cindy said it too right it takes the right people buying these properties and you're right some people decide you know what that's enough i've spent enough money we all know how homes of any kind can be can be money pits at time at at times and so yeah but it's a good point jeremy we i guess what we have to do is is identify the homes that we think are important and then connect them with the right people the people that want to invest the money the time and the effort to save them but jeremy i appreciate your phone call exactly. thanks a lot sorry how just just to say that yep uh, go ahead. just to say like 
it's good to have these people that want to spend this kind of money in our city because that's a lot of money to invest in a, a city like Winnipeg. So yeah, and I, I again I point to the exchange. I point to the exchange district as an area that I just love, right? And look at all that history, yeah. the architecture there and stuff. And there are cities that wish they had areas like our exchange district, and it's uh, it's just too late for them.